what can we do to essentially reach what we call the silent sufferers? How do we equip faculty and staff with the tools and the resources so that they can refer the student to the appropriate level of care um, when the need arises? I think there's a fear that exists amongst uh, people in my position and at other community colleges that um, things like telehealth platforms, et cetera, might replace the counseling center. But in reality, um, what it's doing is it's serving an equity, uh, an equity gap that we can't meet and providing us the luxury of being able to expand our services here in person. This is In the Know with ACCT, the voice of community college leaders. I'm Kaylee Woods. On this episode of In the Know, we're tackling all things mental health. We'll sit down with a representative from Timely Care and a licensed counselor at one of ACCT's member colleges to discuss access to mental health services and trends we're seeing among students on our campuses. Today, I'm joined by a few special guests who are here to shed some light on this very important topic. And so why don't we start by just going around the room and giving some brief introductions. Who are you and what do you do? My name is Becky Lehman. I am the Senior Vice President of Strategy at Timely Care. And Timely Care is, our mission is to improve the health and well-being of college students by making virtual medical and mental health care available to students anytime and anywhere. And I am responsible for overseeing our strategy and ensuring that we are developing the services that meet the needs of students despite their, their unique populations. My name is Jared Henders. I'm the coordinator for the Counseling Center at Amarillo College. I'm a licensed professional counselor, and my role here is um, to split between seeing students and having a place on my own, and also helping develop more wellness resources for Amarillo College. And uh, one we've recently adopted that we're really excited about as an extension of our Counseling Center has been Timely Care, and extending their coverage to our academic students and their dependents so that we can better help support them in an equitable way as we remove some barriers for their um, college experience. So I'm excited to be here to talk about some of that. Great, and we are glad to have you all here today. So really the first question is gonna be for Becky. If you had only like a few minutes to describe timely care to someone, how would you break it down? Like what exactly would you say that timely care does? Sure, great question. So Timely Care is the only virtual health and well-being pro provider focused exclusively on higher education. We are trusted to serve more than a million students at nearly 250 colleges and universities nationwide, with 600,000 of those students coming from almost 100 community colleges. We essentially serve as a 24-7 virtual extension of campus health and counseling center resources and have licensed providers in all 50 states. So we focus on medical, healthcare, mental health, and then we also have an extended um, support services specifically for community college students where we assist them with things like basic needs support, and we also have digital self-care resources, and also a peer community so they can interact with each other because we know how important creating that sense of belonging is across student populations. That's great. And ACCT kind of has a long history, I would say, with research in this specific area. Um, I know when ACCT began investigating 
mental wellness and illness at community colleges a decade ago, there was some hesitation among college leaders about getting too involved in this aspect of their students' lives. And this was in part because almost due to like a lack of familiarity with the issue and not really knowing what to do when enrolled students are diagnosed. So do either of you find that college leaders today are more receptive or less receptive to the idea of introducing mental health services to their schools? You know, I found we live in a really exciting time for mental health in which, you know, especially post-pandemic, there's been much more talk about its need and not just being, you know, a luxury in higher education for our students, but a necessity and a component that can not only, uh, that's not only just altruistic, but can actually really benefit the college from uh, and retention and keeping students in school longer and helping remove mental health as being a barrier to them and getting their college education. And so, um, I see that there's definitely a movement towards that. While we are seeing positive change towards that, I mean, we still live with some stigma and there are still some barriers in getting people on board with the idea that uh, mental health is something that we really need to invest in. And so, you know, here we're taking a lot of the measures to make sure that as we're adopting new practices, that we are measuring that retention of students to show, um, to show that um, leadership and you know, our community that um, you know, addressing the mental health and medical needs of our students isn't just something that um, sounds good on paper, but something that's really going to help grow our community, really something that's going to help um, students um, help them to success in their uh, college career. Absolutely. I mean, to, to your point, a lot has changed in the last 10 years, not to mention the last three years. And we've seen how the mental health crisis has impacted students uh, most recently with COVID. So the pressures of the pandemic and the economic climate has really forced disruption that students weren't equipped to handle on their own. And so through partnership with colleges that are truly invested in student health and well-being, we're able to address those specific needs when and how students need them. Uh, 40% of our visits happen after hours and on the weekends, which is typical for students, especially community college students. So with the community college population with respect to mental health, many of them ha have been frontline workers. They're, they're working several jobs. They're taking care of their families and their commitment to education and also bettering themselves for their careers comes at a compromise of their own health and well-being. So we've seen community colleges really acknowledge that and do everything that they can to support students and help them build that resilience that helps them be more successful. And I really love that you guys both mentioned um, the pandemic because this is really kind of an interesting time in history because I would say that Generation Z is really the first generation of students to have to deal with not only the traditional challenges of being in college, like figuring out what's next in life, uh, working a job, dealing with your family situations while trying to make it through school, but they're also, on top of all of that, they're also having to bear the weight of an unprecedented global pandemic, which none of us really saw coming. How has the COVID pandemic affected mental health needs at community colleges? And from your experience, have you seen a difference at all in the way that students are interacting with each other post-quarantine? We have, we have for sure. So just to address the, a couple points of your question, um, our provider visits 
we predominantly see students for stress, anxiety, and depression. And we recently surveyed our community college population and we wanted to get to the root of the issue. And so approximately 70% of the students that we surveyed said that their stress, anxiety, and depression was due to a lack of access to basic needs. And so I think that's really telling is something that has come out from the pandemic because it doesn't just affect mental health in a silo. It doesn't affect your academic experience in a silo. It affects, it affected their life in its entirety, which includes social belonging. So absolutely, I think that, you know, when you look at what the pandemic has done in terms of impact on students, we have seen how the pandemic as well as socioeconomic determinants of health have had a direct impact on the mental health and well-being of students. Definitely. And I, I think that speaks to how we have to have a holistic approach to meeting these students' needs, right? I mean, especially post-pandemic in which our world got really turned upside down. And um, there was a lot of question if there's basic needs are going to be that security, which inevitably has an effect on mental health. And so in order for us to be effective, we need to make sure that we're looking at the whole student, we're looking at the whole situation and um, identifying how can we help with each one of these pieces. And the more of the pieces we can fit in place, you know, the better we'll be able to support them. Uh, I, I think another thing that came from, um, I guess that the pandemic reinforced is the need for more um, immediate access, accessibility. Um, and during the pandemic, you know, we had to reshape the way we um, approach mental health and, and colleges, businesses everywhere um, due to having to have some more um, convenient means of accessing these, um, these services for connecting with other people. And one thing I think the pandemic just definitely reinforced is that uh, we need to have multiple avenues of that connection, um, whether that be in person, telehealth, um, evenings, weekends, there's having different connecting points. And um, that's something that, you know, as our culture and society adapts to, there's more of an expectation there for the students. And I think it's our, our job to be responsive to that, to meet students where they're at and not to continue to force, um, you know, our typical in the eight to five mind frame for these types of services, but to be more equitable in our approach to getting them the services when they need it and where they need it. I love that holistic approach. Um, Jared, can I ask, so when students are in need of mental health services, is it usually the students that are coming directly to you all or can staff or administration potentially refer a student for services if needed, if they're, you know, seeing some red flags um, that might need to be handled. For sure. You now we hold space for both. Um, you know, we have students that um, are able to advocate for themselves. They come in, they can um, give us a call since email set an appointment time for us, or we've made it accessible to them wherever they need it with the time of care service that they can have an on-demand or scheduled appointment and so via telehealth if they need it as well. So they can initiate in that regard. Um, also, um, something that this partnership has really helped us with is to be more proactive and more responsive to those types of needs and requests. And so um, we're able to have more time to dedicate to reaching out to students. Um, we send out a student needs survey um, that we just are finally able to incorporate in the counseling center as well, just you know, have, have the supports or the time or the manpower to do it before, but with the luxury of telehealth, we can. 
um, in which um, you know, this semester alone, we identified over um, 250 students that are living with unmet uh, mental health needs and able to give them direct phone calls um, given, you know, to make that first step for them to meet them where they're at because they, these are students that are also identified that they might not seek these services themselves. Um, we also take um, some of our best referrals come from the people who work with these students in every day in their classes, they're the faculty members, the staff members, the instructors. And so they're able to walk them over to the counseling center and set up an appointment or uh, really equip them with the um, knowledge of how to get them connected with the timely care service that we put right in their um, AC Connect portal, which is their main dashboard as a student and made it very visible for them. Um, just so that we, um, they are ensured to have a very quick, knowledgeable, and easy access to these services. Um, so we try to hold space for, for all, all of those avenues because you never know where a student's going to be at and what they're going to need, whether that be um, them advocating for themselves, having someone they love or care about advocate for them, having one of our staff or faculty um, you know, indicates that, hey, maybe we can give them a couple of hands. I love that all the bases are kind of covered, taking like a holistic approach and seeing how um, how we can help these students in their time of need, even if they can't advocate for themselves. So switching gears a little bit, um, Becky, I know that uh, Timely Care presented on mental health during the 2023 Community College National Legislative Summit. So I just kind of wanted to ask you about um, your takeaways from that. Uh, how did the audience receive that presentation and did you get any questions or anything that surprised you as a result? Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of it was what, was what Jared alluded to earlier is how can we do more to support students and how can we partner together to do more for the students, but also the faculty that are supporting those students, because the faculty and staff have truly been on the front lines. So some of the things that came up in our dialogue are how do we equip faculty and staff with the tools and the resources so that they can refer the student to the appropriate level of care um, when the need arises. There was also a lot of conversation about basic needs and creating that student sense of belonging. And that all was under the pretty much an umbrella topic of reducing the stigma of mental health. And so what can we do to essentially reach what we call the silent sufferers? Jared alluded to it a couple minutes ago where not every student is, is ready to see a provider. They'll often go to the faculty or somebody else that they, that they support or that they trust. So how do we reach those students who are hesitant and not yet ready to raise their hand and seek direct support, but they know they need it in some capacity? What resources are there available to them and how do we get them comfortable to the point where they can reach out and they do get confidence in that. And one thing that we have found that students often look to each other. When we look at the activity in our peer community groups, so we have a, a peer community where students can safely anonymously interact with each other. We've found that about half of those students have never seen a mental health provider. They really truly lean on each other which in turn creates that sense of belonging. And what's interesting is that the issues that they are discussing are actually different than what we're seeing them seeking help from a provider. So when we look at the reasons that students are seeking a provider visit, it is stress, anxiety, and depression. 
But when we look at peer community, the number one thing being talked about is relationships. So as Jared mentioned earlier, providing students with that access to care when and how they need to receive it was was pretty much the main topic of com- of conversation at the ACCT conference. Do you think there's a specific reason why there's kind of that disconnect between what they're talking to their peers about and what they might be talking to a professional about? I would love Jared's take on this, but I think it's connection, connection with somebody who they relate to, who is going through what they are going through and who can relate to their lived experiences. So I think that has more to do with it um, than the student that it's very it's very daunting and it could be intimidating reaching out to a provider. And, and we've seen that. We know that when students do choose to reach out to a provider, they, they generally want somebody that can relate to them in terms of race, gender and identity, ethnicity, religious affiliation or not. They want somebody who can connect with them on their level, and they get that instantly from that peer community because that is that is their safe space. That is it. That is their group. And so, knowing that they're not alone is so important, and that's what peer support gives them. Absolutely, and I I think speaking more on that, you know, um, I, I think some students might feel that they don't have that representation, like in their provide rights, and, and I'm I'm excited because the time which health in general is moving towards being more inclusive, being more representative and more diverse, and just having that space for students to connect with somebody that they know can share similar or similar backgrounds or similar cultures, so similar race or ethnicity or gender or whatever is most important to them, and that just kind of removes that initial hesitancy, right, of getting their foot in the door. Um, I think also, you know, um, speaking back on the stigma of mental health, and it's existed for a long time that people think, oh, if I'm talking to a counselor, it means there's something wrong with me. Or if I'm going to see a psychiatrist, there's something wrong with me, um, et cetera. Uh, but in reality, you know, mental health and therapy is not necessarily just for somebody living with a mental health disorder or challenge. It's for personal growth. It's for expansion. It's for that connection, right? And so... Um, while certainly um, things like relationships can tie into our mental health, um, you know, thing, uh, common day challenges like stress, you know, relationships, et cetera, can also be addressed to a counselor and not necessarily mean um, that somebody's living with a, a severe mental health challenge. And so breaking down that idea of what therapy is and that it's not necessarily um, something for um, that to put a label on somebody as doing something wrong or unfixable but instead be something that's, you know, it's a, it's a tool, it's a it's a helpful resource for personal growth in whatever area that looks like for the individual. And that it's okay to reach out for help. It's okay to talk to these professionals that whenever you talk to somebody, that, you, know, and, you know, it's important for us as therapists that space. And, you know, we're not about, it's all about labels and diagnostics and these types of things, but we're really just there to meet with them where they're at and connect with them and help them. Learn regardless of what the challenge is. I know in a lot of communities of color, um, you kind of grow up with the stigma of if you want to see a therapist or you want to talk to someone that's kind of seen as a sign of weakness or um, in some cultures, it can be seen as you're crazy or you're not mm-hmm. trusting God enough or something like that. Um, so it's it's very important to have that kind of representation when we're talking about professionals that look like us that you know, can relate to our experiences. I think that creating that kind of comfortability 
and creating a space where people can just be open and be themselves and feel free to really express themselves is really, really important. Becky, I'm curious if you know how many community colleges that Timely Care currently serves and if um, either you or Jared could kind of share what that partnership looks like. Sure. We work with approximately um, 100 community colleges serving over 600,000 students. And one thing I will say about our partnership with Amarillo is that it truly is a partnership. They have really been the gold standard in terms of student support and everything that they have done to really promote student health and well-being from mental health to basic needs support to career development and workforce development and developing student resilience. So that partnership is so key and so critical to ensuring that we are truly providing students with holistic support and well-being, no matter how they choose to receive it. So one of the things that that we do with with any partnership is we really look to the school to help us set those care protocols. And so what do we do in emergent situations and acute situations and what resources do they already have on campus that we can make students aware of um, that are unique to each respective campus. So in addition to providing that that on-demand mental health support, those scheduled uh, mental health visits, basic needs support. I think that's that's really where you can see student mental health and well-being and engagement start to improve is when that partnership is so collaborative that we at Timely Care have a, have a thorough understanding of the campus and how they support students so that we can be an extension of the care that they're already receiving. Uh, and whenever we were searching for you know, a provider to help with our needs here, what drew us to time with care was the customizability and the ability and I guess the comprehensiveness of what they offer. Um, when we're thinking about supporting students, we always go back to who are we serving? What is our base demographic? Um, and that's what led to um, our development of the College of Maria. Uh, Maria is our typical Emerald College students uh, based upon all our different demographics. Um, she is uh, in her late 20s. She's female and Hispanic, has a partner, one child, and works part-time while also working. Um, and she's a first-generation student. And so with our mindset of how to best serve our students, we, we try to look at all these different areas and how can we move barriers for Maria as a student and for a general student population. Um, so Bird, our advocacy and resource center, which has been the hallmark for us and removing some base needs related to finances, transportation, housing, et cetera, and getting the way. And we apply that same philosophy to our counseling center. So we're really looking for, for a provider that can help us support Maria, because what we were finding, especially during the pandemic time, is that we need to exponentially grow our services to meet our students where they were at. And um, with the current resources that we had, um, where we were doing great work, it just wasn't enough, right? And so how could we exponentially grow to get enough and get that equitable access to service? Because um, our students don't necessarily need equal access in which they can all access the same types of service. We need diversity in the types of services they can um, have so that we can meet them where they're at and be more, and be more equitable for them. And so, um, what we've chosen with uh, Timely Care um, is a partnership in which uh, she put the nail on the head as an extension of what we do. 
Um, I think there's a fear that exists amongst uh, people in my position and at other community colleges that um, things like telehealth platforms, et cetera, might replace the counseling center. But in reality, uh, what it's doing is it's serving an equity, uh, an equity gap that we can't meet and providing us the luxury of being able to expand our services here in person as well. And so what we opted to do is um, we have provided um, the free medical and mental health um, care coverage to all of our academic students of the population of approximately 7,300 um, for them and their dependents. And we're looking at Maria, you know, the mental health and the physical health, of not just her, but also her family, her children, her spouse, whomever is important as well. So we want to make sure we're expanding that care gap to meet them where they're at. Um, a lot of our students needed services outside of that typical hours in the channel college was open between like nine to five during the week, uh, weekdays. Um, so we've been able to incorporate that as well. Uh, we needed more diverse provider base. Uh, we were working on developing more inclusive and diverse hiring practices here and getting more of that representation here within the counseling center. But we need people right now that can meet people in the language that they really prefer, the gender, the race, the ethnicity, the culture, whatever it is that to help them get to that initial year. Um, and timely care was the best fit for us. Um, it's very important to me that we have a immediate access point for our students. Because oftentimes, this is the first time students are accessing the health care. It's the first time it's been accessible in their life due to barriers in cost or time or stigma or whatever else might have been in the way. And so we didn't want our services to be a, we'll come in and talk and refer you out. We wanted to be able to help handle things in house to get them the care that they need to get started. So if they have a first positive experience with mental health treatment and, and that they can help guide them towards further treatment down the road as well. Um, but we don't want them to come up to us and have to do a close. We want it as wide open as possible and wherever they want to come to that door. Absolutely. Um, and I know Timely Care services both community colleges and four-year universities. So I'm curious if you've noticed any differences in the needs of students at community colleges versus those at four-year universities, or is there anything specific that we're seeing among community college students when it comes to meeting their needs? I would say absolutely. The diversity of our provider network is absolutely paramount. Jared, Jared alluded to it earlier. Um, we need to provide providers that look like the students that they are serving, that they can relate to the students that they are serving. And also, we have also seen how location and socioeconomic status has definitely impacted community college students in, in different ways. Half of the country is in a mental health provider shortage area. And so when you talk about equitable access to care, being able to provide that direct, immediate access to care has made a huge difference with community college students. So 75% of the community college students that we serve have noted an improvement in their mental health. Another differentiator that we mentioned a little bit earlier was basic needs. We have a significant amount of community college students requesting assistance with basic needs. And the top three um, reasons that they, that the top three reasons that students seek basic needs support are assistance with uh, financial support, food, and housing. 
So these students have basic needs insecurities, and I am a firm believer that mental health is, is, always, is also a basic need. And so when we're looking at the differences between four-year students and two-year students, two-year students, community college students, they are an incredibly resilient population. They are adults. They are working. They are families. They, have, they are first generation, and they are completely dedicated to their education. And in a lot of ways, they, they are very used to taking on things themselves. And so, which is absolutely admirable and that it's that resilience that makes them so strong and so ready for their workforce. But also we recognize that these students definitely have unique needs and very different needs. So when we're looking at the differences, I mean, we know that students across four-year and two-year schools, they're stressed, they have anxiety, they have depression, they have pressure. But when you look at the reasons that are causing the stress, anxiety, and depression, those are different. So what we're doing is we're partnering with colleges to ensure that we are treating the actual problem, not just the symptom that's manifesting as a result. I love that. I actually come from the community college sphere. Um, I used to work at the College of Southern Nevada, which is one of our member colleges um, at ACCT. And the beauty of community colleges is that there's a diversity in the types of students that we serve. So you'll come across a lot of non-traditional students, um, whether that be military veterans, someone who graduated high school and immediately went into the workforce and is now coming back to get their degree. Um, you've got people who are caretakers. You've got people who are first generation have never had any type of college experience at, at any point within their family line. So seeing that there's so much diversity in the type of care that you guys are giving to these students and really assessing what they need is something that is extremely important because there is a difference between kind of the student population of a community college and a four-year university. And so different different populations need different things. And it's important not to kind of typecast everyone like this is mental health. So <laughs> I'm really happy to hear that. Um, and speaking of kind of typecasting, I know the term mental illness is somewhat of an umbrella term um, that can really apply to anything from acute environmental anxiety to situational depression to life affecting psychotic disorders like schizophrenia and bipolar mania. Um, so is timely care equipped to handle kind of the entire spectrum of mental health situations? Or um, if not, where can those students go or wh where can they seek help? Absolutely, we are. So we have a range of comprehensive services. So we have a, a Talk Now service where the student can connect with somebody on demand. We also have scheduled counseling where we have licensed providers in all 50 states where the students could essentially choose who they see. And we have provider bios where they can see who the provider is, what they specialize in, things like grief and loss, racial trauma, LGBTQIA+, they have the opportunity to choose their provider, their licensed counselor. We also have psychiatry services. So as you look at the different levels of care, we do offer a range of comprehensive services, and we certainly are available to help students choose the, the provider that best meets their needs at the level in which they need care. 
and certainly would would love uh, Jared's perspective on the different levels of care that that students need as well. Yeah, definitely. And one thing I've loved so far as well about timely care is the communication piece of it. Um, and we're able to connect with uh, clinicians if we need to, to talk with them, to um, collaborate in that care. Because um, sometimes we'll have a student that's identified in telehealth and their, their, um, their needs are being met, but we see that we get them connected with more people on campus, more resources on campus. And so they bring us into the conversation and say, okay, what can be the next step in this person's care? We've got them through the door with this accessibility. How can we continue this? And um, we're able to customize our care plan um, with time of care to include um, our preferred uh, community partners, our preferred um, ways of getting students connected. So they have a um, a list of who we might refer to, such as our advocacy and resource center or our local Texas Panhandle Center, family support services, whomever. Um, so they get us into the conversation um, so that we can get them connected, not just here at AC, but also within the larger communities. So it's helping them to expand um, our connections with our community partners as well. And uh, somebody who might have um, more acute or severe mental health needs, um, it allows us to help them get, the, get established with their chronic care as well that they might need uh, more case management services, uh, more um, supports that's going to help them not only in their, um, not only with their experience with us in higher education, but after they leave MO College with their degree and go into our community. So we have that continuity of care that's being established here and perseverating as they get into the community. And when it comes to providing that support, how have students really adjusted to the virtual mental health services space? Um, are they finding it beneficial? Are they comfortable with it? Or are there students who would still prefer to come into the office? Like, what does that look like on your campus? We see a little bit of everything. And so um, there's, there's a few things that play into that. Um, one, sometimes we have to do some psychoeducation on teletherapy. Uh, there's some stigma that exists around that as well. Uh, what the research, both pre and post um, uh, pandemic consistently suggests is that um, for all common mental health challenges, there is no significant difference in treatment outcomes for um, for clients that do either um, do either option. The, one, the main differences we see is that with telehealth, students are less likely to no-show, they're more likely to maintain appointments, and they're more likely to complete a treatment plan that has an equitable outcome. And so it removes some of those accessibility barriers to what we see from that research. So sometimes it's um, um, it's educating students or staff or whomever on um, that teletherapy is um, can be you know, just as effective as in person. Uh, we still have students that prefer in-person services, and that's why we're always going to be you know important and needed here, and why this isn't a replacement; it is an extension. And uh, one thing that's um, having the luxury of time to care to help provide more comprehensive coverage to our students is that we're able to um, start developing more specialized care. In which, uh, you know, this past year we've developed more, uh, we've had our clinicians uh, trained in cognitive processing therapy for trauma, um, um, EMDR, eye movement desensitization, reprocessing therapy for trauma, and develop more evidence based practices moving in cognitive behavioral therapy as well, so that we're able to develop more comprehensive treatment plans in person um, for them. And so um, we're really expanding the level of care. Uh, not just with the teletherapy services, but our in-person services as well, so we can fill space for them. And how would you say you gauge success of your programs? Is there any type of evaluation process 
as far as the students? And then even Becky on your side, is there an evaluation process in terms of the colleges that you're serving? Yeah, I can definitely say with us, uh, we get so feedback directly from our students that come into the counseling center through uh, client satisfaction questionnaires. Um, our student needs survey, survey goes out um, once per semester as well, which helps gauge that and collect that data. Um, we measure retention and how um, accessing services has impacted the student's ability to success through institutional research. Um, and lastly, um, on that point, um, we have just implemented our Healthy Minds Survey, um, to, which is a nationally recognized and evidence-based model for um, not understanding more the mental health needs on campus, which is something that we've been able to dedicate more time to with our, with our participation in the Gen Fundamentals program with being able to put um, yeah, time to try lessening our episode here in person as well. We look at it through um, several lenses as well and certainly want to ensure that we are supporting students as part of the larger student outcomes and retention efforts. So how we measure success is a little bit different, but it's also extremely complementary because we are part of the story. We are not the whole story when it comes to student success. So we have a 75% mental health improvement um, rating, which includes 100% of those presenting as a suicide risk. We also look through it through essentially three lenses. One, how are we providing equitable access to care? So we're looking at how students are accessing timely care, whether it be through a learning management system, the application, what types of students are accessing care, race, gender identity, ethnicity. We're also looking at how that aligns with the providers. And so is our provider population truly serving and supporting the demographics of the student population? And we're also looking at user breakdown. So we're looking at first year students versus second year versus you know, if it's a four-year school, third year and fourth year, but we also know how critical it is to get that support to those first-year students because they have such a, you know, we talked about the pandemic, they have such a challenge uh, with the transition of coming back to school, maybe for the first time or maybe for the fourth or fifth time. So we look, we're looking at, are we truly providing equitable access to care? And then we're looking at engagement. How are students engaging within the platform? And what does that look like? What are our visits by modality? What are the reasons that they're coming to timely care? And also how are they interacting with the platform in general? Are they going to peer community versus ask, uh, ha having a provider visit. So are they going to peer community? Are they seeking help from a provider? Are they participating in yoga and meditation and some of our self-help resources? And then finally, we really look at the student experience. And this is, this is where we really appreciate the partnership with schools as we can start to look for that increased engagement and how that ties to retention. So we're looking at how students are rating their visit with their provider, how they're rating their experience within our application. And we're also looking at how at things like 
wait times and referrals. So Jared mentioned earlier, ensuring that students can get to the appropriate level of care. We also consider that as a very important metric is how are we ensuring that students are getting the appropriate level of care, whether it be with timely care or with a local resource. And how can other staff and faculty at community colleges be a part of the solution? And is there anything that we can do as ACCT or any other stakeholders or organizations who just want to be of help? How can we aid the, the process? Well, I would say that um, considering faculty and staff as part of the, the process in many different ways. So they truly are the ones that are so trusted by the students. So ensuring faculty and staff just know about the resources available to students is a huge help. And in many cases, we provide the same services to faculty and staff. But the, the one thing I would say is that we need to do everything we can to ensure that the services that community college students need are accessible, available, and most importantly, appropriately funded. It is so important to designate funding to support mental health so that it is a sustainable program so that we can work alongside students and support students throughout their educational journey and not just at one moment in time. I guess I would just add to that, that, um, you know, the awareness for staff and faculty is key, but also that having, letting them know the tools that they have access to and they can. So um, looking through the community and how can you expand, expand that engagement and that awareness and mental health. Um, so one thing we facilitated is mental health first aid training for free for all of our annual college employees that the counseling center um, teaches um, through our partnership with Texas Panhandle Centers, who's been gracious enough to assist us with that. And so letting, giving, uh, empowering our faculty and staff members um, to not only recognize and um, know how to effectively have conversations about mental health, but how to get connected with the tools. Um, also providing supports for them as well and developing an EOP program that supports the moral well-being of our faculty and staff. Um, their own journey and improvement in self-care is just be just as impactful not only for them, but also for our students. So sometimes we forget that we need to take care of our caregivers, but creating that space for them as well. And I think it's been very critical for us. Absolutely. Um, I want to thank you all for joining me today on this episode. And I think we had some really great conversation about an issue that frankly does not get talked about enough. I'm sure those listening were able to come away with some great tips and insight from the discussion. And hopefully we'll see more of our community colleges opting to offer student mental health services at their institutions as a result. 